ASI. This is episode 29 of season four. My name is Russ Shaw. Having a friend of mine on the podcast today, John Gayton and I were involved in the phenomenon some of you may have heard of known as Mars Hill Church here in the Seattle area. I'm titling this episode In Transition of Community. This is some bumper music by the band Preacher Stone. Thought this would be more than appropriate for my relationship and conversation here with my dear friend John. John Gayton, my friend, a returning guest. Yes, that was years ago. What was it? It's been a while. 2010, I can't remember. You've had some high-profile people on since then. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm glad to have you back. Thank you. As a, as a good friend of mine and uh, living proof as we, we mellow throughout time like a fine scotch. Yeah, possibly, right? right? Yeah, about <laughs> mellowing out with age. <laughs> That's right, a little bit. But we're a couple guys who have actually been through the living proof of the Mars Hill uh, thing, right? This whole community thing. And and uh, we were sort of in transition going into that. But I wanted to introduce you, reintroduce you to some of the folks who might be listening. And uh, sure, we could, you know, go from there. We're, we're sort of behind the counter friends, yeah. so to speak. I like to think so. Yeah. Unpacking that. Uh, that's something I stole, I think, from Charles Stanley or something like that. He brought up this metaphor of, you know, being like like this here. We're in a, we're in a coffee shop here in Everett on the waterfront. And I, I assume the owner of the coffee shop, he, he doesn't let everyone behind the counter. Right, right, right. But he lets people in. He's got a sign. People know it's coffee. They come in. They get a scone. They get a coffee. And they do their business. They go out. A lot of people are like that. Right. And But there's those few people that we let behind the counter in our lives. And you're one of those guys for me. You have been and... and Thanks. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. We've shed tears together and been yes. some shit. And yeah. Said stuff and shared secrets that yeah, a lot yeah. of people don't know. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that's one of the biggest... Like, you're you're one of those guys. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so, yeah. Uh, how's it going, John? <laughs> it's going great. <laughs> it's going great. It's been an interesting year. Yeah. But it's... Uh, a lot of thinking, a lot of processing. For me, it's been a lot of deconstructing. Right. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the Mars Hill thing. Um, no one's experience. I don't think there, there's like any two similar experiences from what that was. Right. And like you said, we were sort of transplants. And so um, I came there, what, like six years ago. Right. And for me, it was more like wanting to just go to church in anonymity for a while. It wasn't like, oh, I was bought in and right. you know, I, I'm really into all this and this big machine. And uh, right. it, it was just more like, okay, but let's... then the community kind of. But got then the community to you, right? happens. Yeah. The community happens. And that's it, when I had you on the show last. Is you were you were a community group leader I, at Mars Hill last time I had you on the podcast. So from my experience, I would say that, and this is me talking. That for for us, for me, there, there were two. There, there were two separate Mars Hills. There was the community part where life happened, 
where that behind the counter thing happened that you're describing. Right. Where people were real with each other. Because it was cool. It was like, it was an emergent kind of a emerging church. It was in that sort of movement back at the time. Like Mark was cool. He said an occasional swear word. Like he was that guy that was, it was not normal church back in the day. I, I think a lot of that might have been before my time, and I'm not really in tune with um, with a lot of that. I right. I don't know. That was never why I was there. Right. Uh, okay. It was never what kept me there. It was the people, right. and it was the community. Uh, what it seemed like, after a while, this corporate machine was driving it, and so you have two separate things going on. You have this sort of corporate top-down authoritarian thing and then this beautiful organic community thing and they're, they they coexist but they're two very separate things right and i think what happened after a while is that that one thing the corporate thing crushed the beautiful thing right and it just disintegrated yeah um, it couldn't the relationships and the and the authenticity couldn't handle the weight of maybe the control or the something making ego money. i don't know drive yeah, ego. i i uh and I'm being very simplistic and 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 kind of giving the cliff notes summary. Right. But that's oh, sort we don't of, know what went on behind the counters. Sure. Uh, not those. not fully. Yeah. No. <laughs> and some fully. of it's starting to come out. Like after the New York Times thing broke. That's yeah. when you were done. I was done. And you were like you were in a leadership position as a but I was struggling. Leader. I was struggling. Right. <laughs> you went through. I I, I was hanging on. I was struggling. Um, but but that that's where uh, that's where. The straw broke my back, as it were. <laughs> it was, what was that? Everyone had their breaking point. That was it for me. Right. Um, yeah. It was. That was just. You had enough, and you had. A, there was a series of things that happened before that, mm-hmm. and it was just that was that was your breaking point. It was for me yeah. personally. Yeah. Uh, I. It, it became too toxic. I mean, up until that point, it was hard to be there on Sundays. It was hard to yeah, be there during the week. Too. Uh, probably the last six months there. Um, it was more really what church was at the time was more my community group my redemption group the men in my in my huddle right that was more where i experienced church more than the 70 minute sermons and and <laughs> I, I just I, I i went to church every sunday wearing earplugs it just wasn't for me right. and i and i knew that but but yet the community aspect of it kept me there i think longer because you came from like a Presbyterian before that, yeah. there was a, you were involved in another church that had a moral yeah, so, breakdown. So we had attended a conservative Presbyterian church mm. uh, for about five years, and I was involved there and active in leadership there somewhat. And, um, you know, a lot of the similar stuff, I, I, I think, um, I, I think that what happened there is... It was a beautiful community of people meeting, and I don't know, probably around 300 people, uh, and half of the people were from south of 145th and Shoreline, and the other half were from north of 145th and Shoreline. And uh, It's a real designated local kind of it, it, crowd. It, 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 it was, you had those people that it was local for them, but I think it was more of a regional church than the right. community church, because people were certainly going to it. Right. Because it was a beautiful church. Um, There's a lot going for it. Uh, it's I, like, and that's an interesting paradigm, not to no, sure. keep You're your fine. thought there, to bookmark that, but it's, that's an interesting thing, too. It's kind of like, 
well, I believe in this God deal, so I guess I'll go to the church that's closest to my house or something, or, or yeah. the denomination, or I grew up Presbyterian, or it's just interesting, as you're saying that, how people make those decisions. I think right? people go to churches for different reasons, and there's a yeah. lot there. I, I, I'm not Who sure. Knows? I can only I'm speak for myself. Right. Right. And, and, and for me, I, I suppose a lot of it was... Um, was 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 aesthetic was style uh-huh. uh were the people some great people there um but you know it's probably just what i do professionally is i work really close with people and often especially men that are tied to issues of significance with their vocation right. finding a lot of significance and identity with their work so you're a vocational counselor but yes i do vocational rehab right. counseling uh, I do it from the industrial insurance side, but still, those things really are yeah. very present. You know, they people, are, yeah. people that uh, very human. It's a very human it's, job. It's awfully human. <laughs> it's awfully human. Uh, so this is my take from that experience, um, personal take. You know, people that have know the church I'm talking about can agree or disagree with me. But it was, I think, the senior pastor was in his late 40s. I think he'd been pastoring for 20 something years. I think that he saw Mark Driscoll in his backyard, and he saw Tim Keller in his denomination, and he never preached at that conference. He never wrote that book. His church was, wasn't, you know, it was, it was growing, but slowly. Yeah. And I think that it was sort of about him and his ego and his need for significance to break that church apart in an attempt to have a church planning network in an attempt to have a church with little to no resources, plant these little fledgling churches without little to no resources. And right. it really taxed everybody. And it was very anemic and very sick. Um, and it was very unhealthy. And a right. lot of people left and a lot of people got hurt. Uh, and and it's one of those... There were spiritual like, there abuses, was mismanagement. Who, right, and there wasn't a affair or something like that. It no, was just a guy who no. was dr- drove people to... Partially. Well, I think the whole construct of a lot of that sort of reform theological thinking mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, it kind of invites it, though, in some way. Like, uh, God foreordained these leaders to care for my soul, and they were predestined to speak authority into my life. And, and oh, well, if God works through our leaders, we better trust them and what they're doing and thinking. And it just kind of invites it, I think, more. Than, than maybe a church that doesn't sort of buy into that paradigm or that particular theology. So uh, my, my view is that that was mostly sure. his ego driving it. And uh, two elders left, one who uh, was a dear close friend who I considered a pastor to me in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and, and still in some way is, who you know. Uh, yeah, he went to Marcel. Yeah, he, he okay. ended up going there. Right. Mars Hill is kind of the church that's like, well, I got to go somewhere. I don't know where else to go. <laughs> so maybe I'll just kind of go here and hang out for a while. It was kind right. of that for us more than it was like, hey, let's go here. This is awesome. Yeah. But what had happened, though, where we were when we first came was the church we left was so unhealthy and so anemic and so tired that for whatever reason, Mars Hill looked successful. Right. And I, I think maybe there is some buy-in to that 
growth model of wow everything this place touches quote turns to gold you know it's yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. Uh, wow look at all this young people and all the I mean the growth look at all this fruit amazing. look at all this fruit exactly. you know they're treating people like commodities but you know look <laughs> right. at but but it but, was cool so but, 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 sacrifice I don't know if, if you come from a church that's unhealthy and anemic and you see that growth it, it's like wow this is really doing something like if I give money to this if I devote my time to it mm-hmm. there's really something happening here right. you know there's a good return on my investment Versus, you know, if I give money to this Presbyterian church, I'm just, uh, you know, maybe paying this pastor's six-figure salary or something, you know. Right. And maybe that's part of my story, too, is I, joining Mars Hill, possibly for some of the same reasons. Not that the church I was going to before was unhealthy, but, it, so I had a total deconstruct, reconstruct before I went to AC3 in Marysville. Okay. Which was this little church in Marysville, my mom. Uh, you know my story, but for the listeners who haven't heard it, my I had horrible sexual addiction, uh-huh. um, compulsion, whatever the new buzzword is. Right. I was not in control of my own behavior sexually. Uh-huh. And part of that had to do with pornography use, and, and I was seeing prostitutes. Uh-huh. I mean, it was really bad. And I didn't want to keep doing the things I was doing. See, that's the thing about addiction and compulsion. Like, you hear these guys go, oh, well, it's not an addiction. Well, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you don't want to do and you hate doing, I was to the point of suicide a couple times because I couldn't stop. I mean, that's that's whatever you want to call it. It's a bad habit, whatever. Yeah. It's a life-altering behavior that was soul-crushing. Right. And I just couldn't live that way anymore. So I, in desperation, reached out to a couple pastors mm-hmm. because I couldn't afford a, a real counselor. Or <laughs> I didn't have health insurance, right, that covered... Any kind of psychological stuff. Right. So, you know, and, and I would reluctantly went to these guys' office. Mm-hmm. And I was, um, I was my, my whole thing was basically, how do I get this behavior under control? And don't give me all this Jesus shit because I'm, I don't want to hear it. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I've, I grew up in that religion stuff. I'm done. I don't want to even deal with that. Right. And they lovingly said, you know, you, you have to deal with the roots, you know. You have to go after the roots and find out what, what it is down, down in the, the roots. heart. Yeah. You know. And it hurts. It's going to hurt. Yeah. yeah. And so, but they were really patient. Uh-huh. And they were, I mean, very Christ-like. Sure. Because most pastors just didn't know what to do with me. Because I, I had another exposure. My wife caught me in pornography. A, a few years before that, we went to another church. And the guy just didn't know how to handle it. Right. He doesn't know. He didn't say anything substantive or anything. These guys just listened, and they dealt with me. They even dropped the F-bomb, right? Oh, my. When a pastor says, it was just weird. When he, when he started talking like I talked, I'm like, oh. It was weird. It was like I could I could relax. I could let my shoulders down sure. and go, oh, we can talk like a couple of guys? Sure. Like, that's awesome. That's interesting. You know, and that compelled me to to be more and, and listen to them and be in relationship with them. And, but, yeah, it was the it was their their patience and their understanding. When I would come in angry and bringing the Bible in and going, here's how this thing contradicts itself, I would bring up a couple of different scriptures and go, this contradicts that, and that contradicts this, and what do you do about that, you know? And they just lovingly listened and answered my questions. It was finally one day when when a guy, when, when Rick said, I was bringing another angry rant about a, about a biblical you know, right. problem that wasn't working out in my own head. And right. It's all translation and how you're translating. And he goes, he goes, Russ, he goes, it starts in your heart. Mm. 
and then it moves into here. He goes, you think it's something that has to be figured out or a Rubik's Cube puzzle or something you have to shove in from the outside. Right. And he said, it's not that at all. Right. He said, it starts in your heart. Right. And it moves its way out. And that blew my mind. That's what got the hamster on the wheel, so to speak. That was the vampire that turned me. Sure. I don't know, right? I, I think that um, the, 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 Presby- the conservative Presbyterian church we came from that you were asking about I think there were a lot of missteps, mismanagements, and even I would say some abuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hired a consultant to, you know, manipulate people into giving money, and, oh, and wow. um, <laughs> there, there's just a bunch of stuff. But, but you know, it, it was a beautiful place for a while, and there was some very sincere worship happening and very sincere, beautiful community happening. But my experience, as I just kind of recollect on it, was it wasn't really the sort of place where people we're very free to have that behind-the-counter sort of stuff that you're describing. Right. Uh, and that was something, I think, that Mars Hill, for all of its faults, was good at, at least in the circles I was in. Yeah. Uh, it was people could drop the F-bomb or whatever, or be themselves. Be themselves, yeah. Um, I sometimes wonder if it was, and this is where I'm at now, like like thinking through it or deconstructing it, if it was a little too focused on being too earthy or too authentic right. because you can go too far one way or another. Like right. I, I can go too far uh, being pious or holy and they'll look at me. I got it all together, but I could also go too far. Well, look how fucked up I am. You know, right. <laughs> you, right. you go too far one way or the other. And, and, and uh, I wonder sometimes if it went a little too far on the, right. on that side of it where, um, uh, you know, well, that's, it, a, that's the difference between real and authentic. Right. Okay. And uh, going into the, because I've been doing that. some writing real, about that. Real versus authentic. Talk yeah, to me about because that. Because when you're being, you can be real. Okay. Like in a group, for example, a sure. group of guys. Like what we would do in a community group was there's usually we would split into two groups. And there would be guys and there would be gals and they would talk about their stuff. And then we would come together and talk about everything together, which is always an interesting paradigm. So it wasn't always just men or just women. It was men, women, and then we would right. talk. Right. And sometimes those relationships would go into... You know, the guy stuff would go into the... And sometimes it wouldn't. Sure. But the the guy who's real will sit there and vent, and he'll just go, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes he'll go in relationship about his wife, for example. Sure. About how she's not doing this, and she doesn't give it up right? <laughs> more than once or twice, once a week or once a month or whatever. But one of, that's one of the examples. And that's real, you know? That's, that's not a very good Mars Hill wife right there. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> But but it's but anyway, so that's real, right? So you, we can have those conversations. That guy can have that conversation. But when he brings that out into relationship with his wife, that's authentic. That's where okay, I that's got where you. It's I got you. That's where it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. Because real can just be venting. Yeah, that's, and that's real. I got you. Oh, you're real. That dude's so okay. real. No, I got you. I love that that dude's real. Okay, well, try and make that work in a relationship. In the context of and relationships. I think maybe that's ultimately what happened with Mars Hill. Like mm. Mark. And I mean, I'm see, I'm speculating. I sure. hate to do that because I don't know Mark Everyone that has well, an opinion, but, but yeah. <laughs> just from knowing people and doing this kind of thing, you know, if you can't make that real stuff work in relationships, then it's not authentic. And I get it you. Falls apart. No, that I, like a big Jenga puzzle. That's yeah. what Marzo was. It was a, yeah, yeah. It was a huge Jenga oh, yeah. puzzle of relationships. Absolutely. Somebody pulled one down here. There was called Mark Driscoll's name on it, and it just absolutely because he was the cornerstone. Yeah, yeah, and it was built on it wasn't Jesus, right? Mark Driscoll was the cornerstone right. at that time, and that's what happened. Yeah. I, I think that's no, my I, synopsis. I, 
I don't disagree. It was always a concern, like, yeah. kind of built on a cult of personality. And even me doing, and I'll, and I'll go a step further, even in me doing this podcast, here's a little confessional from me, doing this podcast at AC3, I couldn't sustain the authenticity that it took to work out my, because I, I, I hurt people at that church. Because mm-hmm. I started this ministry about porn use and how guys can get free of that. Mm-hmm. Pip, rah, rah, that was great. Mm-hmm. But when I told, I didn't tell anybody for another eight, a year how, how bad it really was. Mm. And how bad it really was is I, I saw I had been with prostitutes. Mm. I cheated on my wife multiple times. And that blew up a lot of relationships. And my wife couldn't handle right. being in community there with some of the people that. And I could look back and say, oh, it could have been handled better by the leadership or whatever. But I don't know. Right? I mean, right. I, was a, I was just, okay, we're out. Because I wanted to s- support her, love her, and that's when Mars Hillster came along. And I liked this guy. He was loud. <laughs> he was going after religious people, right? He, like like me myself, like at the time. I never got it. Like, really? Like, yeah, I, I, I always, to, I, I always, I, I, I mean, he's like a stand-up comedian. That's yeah, what I liked about him. I, I, I sometimes joke that, like, I, 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 don't I still know. like that about. Him. Hopefully, I don't know. I think he was. I, I think he was. Okay, so I think he was a gifted communicator, mm-hmm. and I think that he was amusing at times, and he got people talking. Right. Like even when he pissed me off, or like I like, totally was appalled by what he said, he would. He got people talking. I think that was if he had a gift, it was that he got people talking. Yeah, he was like this stir that stirred the coffee kind of thing. Uh, so I found myself loving the people that were there that were kind of a, like like he's like this magnet for, yeah. like like kind of the circus sideshow freak and everyone comes <laughs> to see him and, I, and I'm loving the people that are watching the circus but and part of why maybe that's why I liked him too because doing the podcast I think I was sort of that character like here's this guy who's like a car accident <laughs> like slowing down to watch the car accident I don't know not, people would relate not, to my story well not because a lot of guys struggle with you know sexual integrity whatever but that's not to let my my ego do too much talking, but like you, I think you can vouch. And I'm not trying to like, oh, I I never bought in, because I, I was involved. I I, I, I was there. Uh, I was very much uh, trying to but do you you know, trying to do good. But but I always struggled with with him a little uh-huh. bit. Like it was uh-huh. never like because for me it was sometimes like like he was like, sort of the bully in high school. Or well, what? I kind of see it more like um, like. It, I think there's a time, especially in the life of men, where you kind of need an older brother to just kick your ass, like, oh, hey, yeah, knock yeah. it off, you're being stupid. Yeah. And But then there, you kind of outgrow that, you know? It kind of becomes a time where you want to sit at the foot of a sage. And, but I think he serves that, or he did serve that kind of role for a lot of people. A lot of young men is kind of that, yeah. like, stop it. Stop, you and I both stop heard that. Off. You and I both heard those stories in groups where... And I've heard emails from people, you know, clear across the world going, I listened to a sermon yeah. by Driscoll and how he just lit me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He convicted me. Oh, and, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, he had that it, sort of gift. And, I, but, and I'd often be like, I don't get it, but right. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad that I'm, but, but, but in fairness, and this and is. I was convicted. I mean, I'll be honest. This is me thinking some a bit on this side of it is I, I worry about some of those guys now. Like, yeah. where are they now? Because. Yeah. Oh, he was a sham, you know. Like, like they're just well. If that, if, if if his words were the catalyst for whatever breaking point it was in your life, and then he turns out and to be a sham, a show, or yeah. fake. Yeah. Uh, where's their faith now? And is it yeah. is it shipwrecked or is it destroyed? So I, I don't know. I, I've, 
I think there's some stories out there where maybe maybe people have lost their faith because of that in some way. Because they're following the man. That could be, yeah. And not the, the Christ. And, and That could be. Maybe if there's any really good thing about Driscoll, and I pray for the man, I pray for him almost every day, even his family, but if there's any good thing that we could take away from Driscoll's, he did constantly point to Jesus, even though his life didn't necessarily go that way and the story didn't end that way. But on he, this side of this, on, on, on this side of it, I'm not... I, I'm, I'm conflicted about that statement. Okay. Uh, it's all about Jesus. It, w- it wasn't because that's why the whole thing fell apart. Or maybe that's why it did. I don't know. <laughs> Teasing that out is not interesting. Anyway, go ahead. Finish your thoughts. Well, I, I'm sorry. I, I have to think about that. I, I think he pointed to Jesus in some form, in some understanding of Jesus, but I think there's a lot of problems with the whole theological construct that he was working from. Right. And that theological construct is important because people are listening to this podcast, for example, because a lot of people are, I mean, a guy is caught in his compulsive porn habit mm-hmm. or a gal is caught in an affair with somebody online, you know, friending an old high school boyfriend from on Facebook that they end up meeting up with. I mean, yeah, yeah. these stories happen every day and the church is is a place where people do go Mm -hmm. for help because they feel like okay this is intimate and I should be able to have these conversations with my pastor right but you know it's not always the safest place and and people know that as well right so that's why this conversation is so important where can we bring those because it's like sacred space man Mm. this is my relationship this is my future I saw my life in this family and now it's blown apart where where do I go from here and there's just a big question mark out there <laughs> right for for a lot of the Mars Hill folks I mean just some of the stories you and I've heard and yeah in the construct of in the construct the deconstruct like say you have a church and it's it's made of wood and glass and whatever and that thing comes comes down for whatever reason it's blown down because of our own life experience um, matters of faith, the way we think about the world and the way it actually is. I mean, whatever blew that thing down, what, what does it mean to reconstruct? What does it mean to build it back? Well, how would you do that, John, if you were if you were, had your construction hat on yeah. in your I mean, own paradigm? You don't want that to happen. I mean, with a construction, yeah. <laughs> Bob the I, Builder. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's obviously different for everybody. Right. Um, you know, because there are there's a lot of people deconstructing and reconstructing, and that looks different for everybody. I can only speak for myself. I got to a place where uh, it just didn't work anymore. Um, you know, and I don't want to I don't want to seem condescending or even like sanctimonious, like with where I'm at or, or something. But like uh, the idea of getting up and going to a church. In listening to music that is varying in quality and listening to some guy talk to me for half an hour, 45 minutes about his interpretation of the Bible, just not only didn't appeal to me, I think over time it became absolutely toxic to me. It sort of wear you down, wear you out, it, sort of? The only way I can describe it, it just was toxic. Like, right. like it's not, it's, it's beyond this isn't doing something for me. It's about, like, this is just awful. Uh-huh. Well, t- tell me about school, like when you were in, in college. You went to SPU? I did. Yeah. 
So was there professors there that you liked, that you learned from, that you gleaned from, or appreciated or respected? Oh, absolutely. And, and why was that? I mean, oftentimes it boils down to personality, yeah. uh, teaching style. What you were learning, maybe. What we were learning, yeah. context. Because sometimes I, there's like stuff that I want to learn, and I almost put this in context of church, too. Like, I wanted to know more about God, but sometimes the teacher was just someone I didn't I, I think I think the place I got to, and I'm not, again I'm speaking for myself, uh-huh. is I think one of the critiques about Protestantism and evangelicalism is it's make it up as you go along Christianity without any ties to tradition or history, less like a maybe 16th century theology. Maybe you're right. tied to that. Right. That's why I consider myself pre-vintage. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I'm a pre-vintage postmodern. And so. Um, I I was I have found myself embracing a pre-reformation, a pre-enlightenment form of Christianity through the Eastern Orthodox Church. Right. It's And that's where your story is much different than mine where we ended up landing church-wise. Yeah, very different. Cuz I still kind of go on and off to uh to Chuck Hickman's uh, church which oh, yeah. is sort of a, you know, it's like, you know, it's like a family. Yeah, it's sort of like a family. Yeah. But it's, it's, but in a preaching style it's Reformed and it's the American Christian evangelical. I, I, I think Chuck. Kind of I have a lot deal. of affection for Chuck. I don't agree with his theology, but I have a lot right. of affection for him. I think he's a he's a good man. Right. And you go to more of a uh, an Orthodox. I go to an Eastern Orthodox church, and and there's you know, <laughs> I mean, where to begin? Um, I think I would say that I needed a faith or a form of Christianity because I, I got to a crossroads where if I was going to remain a Christian in any organized sense of the word um, that's where it was for me that's where I experienced transcendence that's where I experienced community um, because so much of their worship is experiential it involves all the senses sight, right. smell, taste uh, it's not it's not rational. It's not scholastic. It engulfs all the senses. It's very big on sacred space. God doesn't and you, need. And you God doesn't it. need that stuff. We do. Right. That that is one of the things that removes the barriers. It, right. it, it evokes. And that has worship. that stirs your affections. It does. And you know the other thing I, I would say too is, um, and this is another thing that that, that Frank Schaefer said. You know, because he he was. Orthodox, or he became Orthodox in the mid '90s, and as he's sort of come around to more, some more postmodern thinking, um, you know, he's he said some interesting things that do resonate with me. I don't agree with him about everything, but I, he does say a lot of things that make sense to me. And one of the things he was talking about is I can give you very real, very compelling theological and ecclesiological reasons about why the Orthodox Church is uh, is a it, is Right is the is <laughs> it's I, the best. I don't know. I would use the word full. full. It's it's okay. the it's the fullest expression of it's unfiltered Christianity. Like I can give you a lot of compelling reasons for why that is, but if I'm honest, okay, there's a psychological reason for this shift too. Yeah. And let's be really honest about it. And that's what Schaefer was saying. It's like I needed a shift that was different than the faith of my upbringing that looked different. Yeah. And I think that that smelled different. <laughs> it smells, by the way, it smells beautiful. Incense <laughs> right. is beautiful. Right. Um, but but you know we I think go to church if we're going to go to church. I think we should go there because that's where we encounter God. Right. And um, I got to a place where the evangelical Protestant church of my upbringing lacked transcendence for me. 
right. and I find beauty and transcendence uh, in the Orthodox worship, and it captures me. So I've had that's friends I've that landed. have had the same with the, the Catholic experience because you experience it. It's like an experience. You smell the incense. There's the stained glass. There's the the pageantry. <laughs> pageantry. It's right. a fishing word. <laughs> it is, but it, but that's what it is, right? I mean, for me, I, I guess I I'm. I'm almost turned off by it. And no offense to you. No, I This I, is your journey. We, we talked about it. And your journey's... I know we've had, we've had kind of... John! I was worried about this man for a while. But now, you know, I know you, so it's cool. But we're... But, you know, I had that kind of... Because I, I feel... For me, it would just get monotonous and mundane. Just the religious... Yeah, that's not been my experience. Yeah. Uh, because you're, you're, you're I, having a, an experience of the Holy Spirit so, through so, the... So you mentioned the Catholic Church. I mean, I very, okay. So I, I, I covered uh, pre, pre Reformation, pre, uh, pre Enlightenment. Let's go also pre schism worship. So this is you know, schism. Unpack that word schism. Oh, the Great Schism in the 11th century when the when the Church in Rome broke from the Church in the in the East. Because first thousand years of Christianity, it was one church. Okay, right. Like like imagine Catholic. Imagine your hand. Okay. You have each of your fingers. It, was, it wasn't just Catholic; is was the worldwide church, but well, the Catholic, the word Catholic church was means, the, it was control. Okay, right? It was the control, so, the hierarchy, the government of church. So, 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 put out your hand. You got five fingers, right? right this yeah. is, your hand is the church. Uh-huh. Each finger, historically, going back, is a bishop. Okay, you have a bishop in Antioch. You have a bishop in Jerusalem. You have a bishop in Alexandria. And this goes back how far? This is like within the first three to five hundred years of Christianity. Right. Okay. And the thumb is Rome. Okay. In the 11th century, the thumb broke off the hand right. and said, you know, you all have to listen to me. I'm the, you know, I'm the authority and the other four fingers. And, and no, I mean, it's never been like that. We, you know, it's going to apostolic succession and that whole view. And so the church, the four fingers of the hand stayed intact in the east while the thumb split off the hand. Right. And then in the 16th century, the thumb fractured even more with the Protestant Reformation. Okay, so this is that's what the schism is, is, is going back to pre... It's not just a cool song by Tool. <laughs> it is a cool song by Tool, <laughs> but, but it's more, it, yes, it, it, you know, brief, brief very, very uh, terse history lesson right. <laughs> since you asked but right um, and you dig that so you it's it's less about some guy getting up there no, and, and being a rock star it's not about the and attracting guy. it's not yeah, about the it's guy. about very it's about tradition and the history, high point and that's a good place the to high put. point isn't the guy talking right it's it's that's it, a good place it's to put the confidence. eucharist it's the, a good place yeah. to put your confidence it's the eucharist that's the high point so right. invariably you won't hear an orthodox christian say i wasn't fed you know, because the sermon wasn't good. Right. No, you were fed at the chalice. You were fed by the Eucharist. And that's the high point. That's the climax. That's why we're there. Right. Um, you know, and uh, it's just resting. So is it like a lead up? I've never been to, maybe I should come and, do come and see. see what it come looks like. See. Do they like make the, the bread and the wine like the climax of the thing or what? Yeah, well, it's like the it, movie where the... It's the high the point of the, the service. The, it, everything right. leads up to that point. Everything is preparing you to that point. And it's the high point of the service. Sometimes I just get bored with even communion. Like, I know the, the history of it, and I get it. And Jesus said to do it because it represents his body broken. And, but I, sometimes I just... I just I, okay, I'm just going to sit here. But, not, but, not just, and it's almost out of a little protest in my own heart about the mundane. Like when I start feeling like it's mundane, 
that that's an alarm bell goes off somewhere in me. Well, that's just me. I'm I'm weird like that. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get addicted. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> it, it, well, it, it, it's part of your your history and just who you are. I, I, I mean, for me, like it was a Christianity with roots. Right. Okay, and the, that makes sense. The, it's not centered around the cult of personality yeah. of, of the pastor driving it, but with roots, yeah. with depth, with history, with tradition, resting in that, uh, not always agreeing with it, kicking and screaming on a lot of it, but but yet ultimately knowing that, that, that you have 20 centuries of Christians that have gone before you. Uh, that and that's the oldest, as, as a point of sociology, by the way, a really fascinating thing with that is that the church is the oldest organization of any sociological organization mm-hmm. that still exists today. It's 2,000 years old and it's still in existence at saying something because us human beings can't cling on to one organizational well, and, anything for very much long. And, 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 and the other thing to... Well, the other thing to say about that... Well, that espresso machine's loud. <laughs> yeah. The other thing to say about that is, you know, I mean, think about where your Bible came from. I mean, what protected the church against heresies during the first four centuries of Christianity? And and the saints that assembled your canon, venerated Mary and the saints, believed in Christ's literal physical presence in the Eucharist. But, oh, but that's not biblical. I mean, (laughs) well, actually, I I would argue that that a lot of it is, but, but... you know, it's not like the Bible fell out of the sky and it's a magical book. I mean, it needs interpretation. So I would, you know, appeal to what have the church fathers taught? What has yeah. history and wisdom of 20 centuries of Christianity taught? I would say that in any church. How they interpret the Bible is so important because there's no there's no outline. There's no black and white. There's no one's got the Bible figured out. When when a guy says he's got the Bible figured out, that an alarm bell should go off. That's a scary off. dude. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You're on an airplane to Guyana, probably. That's right. So, you know, to end that question, I guess we we both have reconstructed in different ways, but we're both still friends, and we both get together and do this. And yeah. Smoke cigars and. We should smoke a cigar later. Yeah, we should. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I have to drive people around. No, the city, it might be offensive. Take them home from work. <laughs> yeah, you know, Uber wouldn't get like, wouldn't get me five stars. On and, Uber. and again, it, it comes back to you know who your friends are when you undergo a paradigm shift. Yeah. I'd like to think that'd be the case. Or if, when the wheels come off on your life. I, I, I like to be that. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I'd, li- I'd like to think that'd be the case if one of us were a you know a Hindu or, or an atheist or something. You know, yeah, yeah. so uh, because we're ultimately image bearers of God, we're ultimately living icons, and we ultimately still reflect that to each other, even in fragmented and broken ways. Right. And, uh, yeah, so, orthodox and whatever you are, and... (laughs) 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 Or or something else, you know. um, We're human beings trying to just do this life as best we can. Exist. And existing... Seeing through an... being is hard. Seeing through a mirror darkly. Yeah. Seeing through a mirror dimly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's foggy. And it is. It's, it's hard to just be, man. Mm-hmm. It is. Which I think is ultimate well-being is just being. Yeah. Mm. One one big thing I, I really have taken away, and you, know, you and I talked about it before, is I think the same thing that made Mark Driscoll popular is the same thing that makes a Richard Dawkins popular or famous, is that we're all just little insecure children afraid of the dark, and this person with this authority and this weight 
is speaking with so much certainty and conviction and conviction and that helps he's got the vein like he's, he's got the big vein in his neck screaming and, <laughs> and, and that helps me sleep at night because right. maybe I don't know how to love my spouse maybe I don't know how to raise my children oh but this guy will tell me what to do Yeah. and people just want to be told what to do because there is a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and I think that what it speaks to is is a lot of Christians is more a certainty addiction than it does like an yeah, actual life yeah. of faith. Right. Uh, and, and, and so certainty is, is void of a relationship. It's void of faith. It's void of faith. And faith is relationship with God. Right. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And so I think that's what a lot of fundamentalism conservative evangelicalism well the liberals have their version of it too don't let me like oh yeah, yeah. try to make it some kind right. of like polar dichotomy right thing. no it's not but, but, I, but it's I, very true i think there is this sort of certainty addiction that people might need to dismantle or deconstruct from right uh and for me it like deconstruction was was necessary and that's one of the conversations i'm interested in having and there's no answer but oftentimes it's why do some people need to deconstruct and some don't why do yeah, some people need a paradigm shift and some don't that's very true because what i see oftentimes is people basically just well let's go find another church that has the same doctrinal distinctives and the same values right. uh, but doesn't buy into all the corporate bullshit like, well, wh- I mean, wh- why do you stop there? Why don't you go further? Why don't you deconstruct some of the doctrine? Why don't you deconstruct some of the theology? Right. Uh, quite frankly, it might be too painful. Quite, <laughs> or scary. Or scary. It's, it's a scary it's, place. It's horribly scary. It's like but, walking on thin ice. Like, my ideas of how this thing should work out, or who's going to hell and who isn't, oh, that's it, another you're one. You're in or you're out. Yeah, you're those in. people. You're saved or you're not. There's all these <laughs> if lines. I, if I let those people in, John, what, what are going to happen? Seeing, and it's really based in insecurity. Seeing people as other. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's not the message of the gospel. No. I mean, Jesus is, love your neighbor and, and love you know God, and and that's the whole law. Mm-hmm. And so he ends these big theological whack job conversations that the Pharisees are trying to have with them that Christians have every single day. <laughs> right. Oh, the, with that they, yeah. statement, no. just love God, love your neighbor. That's the whole law. It's hard to do, but yeah, uh, like it's like a <laughs> drop the mic kind of Boom. moment for Jesus. See, ya. but we don't like that. Well, it's hard because that it's deals simple, that, that deals in relationship. It mm-hmm. deals with you have to know the person and get to know the person, and that's scary so it's maybe it's a good thing of seeing the good part of seeing the Mars Hill collapse yeah. is seeing the relationships that come out of it and what happens as we unpack what it means to be rather than follow a guy who says here's how you should do I think that sometimes with that the relationships I've experienced like I've lost friendships people I've cared about deeply yeah. because sometimes when 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 a system collapses, and I'm talking about paradigm shifts and deconstruction, some people have a need to dig their heels in and defend it and protect it yeah. and guard it. And that those people aren't going to be able to really be in community for other people that, you know what, that doesn't work for me anymore. I'm sorry. I need to deconstruct it. I need to dismantle it. And there is going to be, I think, when a construct is destroyed, there's going to be those two people. And they they're not going to be able to do life together for that reason. Right. Because some people do dig their heels in and need to defend, and some people do need to deconstruct. And why one happens and the other doesn't, it could be a personality type, I don't know. Uh, there's, I mean, trauma, uh, disappointment, right. um, but pain is so of... personal and so relative, and like why it affects some people right. at, at different points. My, in my maturity, I've seen how I'm better at 
loving people I disagree with. Mm, yeah. And even being in their presence. Like when I was a very angry young man, I couldn't be in the presence of people I disagreed with. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's fear or insecurity or whatever it was, or just being that bent towards anger. But the need you know, to be right. The need to be right, yeah. Or for them to be wrong, and they're so they're the you know shun the non-believer. I don't know, but you, you know. So well, ultimately, but, but it's lo it's loving people even though you disagree with. I think them, life and how to keep that conversation going with someone you disagree if with. If life happens to you, okay, you're going to okay. have some pain. You're going to okay, have some gonna disappointment. Hurt. It's going to hurt. Yeah. And then you start losing confidence. Like, maybe I don't know as much as I thought I did. And that brings about humility. Right. And that helps with that whole thing. And then you go into wounds and scars, too. Mm, yeah. Like, it's knowing when something's a wound and when something's a scar. Oh, yeah. So I have my scars. But I guess when you walk into that relationship paradigm and it hurts so bad that you can't be in, pre in, in the presence of that person, that, that's, that's a wound. Sure. And we deal with the wounds, you know? Sure. And then possibly we can come into relationship with that person again. I'm thinking on um, folks I've had conversations with where a young woman is meeting her father who was sexually abused by her father, couldn't even be in the same room with a guy for many years, Jeez. becomes a Christian and starts to unpack what forgiveness is yeah and the fact that he's gone through all the he went to had did his time you know and and i'm not you know i could do a case study but i'm not going <laughs> to unpack her whole story um but she you know she went through a very real wound scars kind of a thing right and she still had meets with the guy and, and has a relationship with him She's even had let him meet the grandkids. Jeez. He doesn't babysit the grandkids. Well, that's probably best, right? Yeah, that's probably that's best. a good boundary, right? And uh, and so, but she, you know, but that took a lot of time, and that's a good example of wounds versus scars. Mm -hmm. As getting those, in some, we're not going to be, we're not going to be buddy buddy with everybody, and that's okay, right? You know, not all relationships are going to be reconciled. I'll say this: you find out who your real friends are when you undergo a paradigm shift. Yeah, uh, that's you definitely realize who your real friends are because some friendships and some relationships are only contained within the constructs they're founded in. And when that construct is destroyed, yeah. if, if you're thinking differently or questioning things, um, I, I'd like, you know, the friendships I value are the most, obviously, are ones that transcend the construct in which they're founded on. Right. I'm in a different place than you are entirely. We've maintained a friendship. Right. You know, and, and there's guys, there's other behind the counter guys that we're, not in relationship with as much. Just mm -hmm. and it's not because, and part of it's more busy life. Is well, part of busy, but part of it's because of that the whole Marcel thing. We, we stood on a different side in their mind. I'm not, I'm not on anybody's side. I'm on, I'm on Jesus's side, and I'm on the side of people being able to trust in in their spiritual authority. I think there's sides to that. You don't think there's sides to that? The way that all played out. Yeah, I'm I think thinking there's sides loud. to it, think, but I, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to divide us in relationship, right? Right. Like if I can still be friends with someone who's. I mean, we're still friends with a few people that go to the new yeah. Mars Hill that's turned into Foundation Church. And I had a conversation with the pastor of Ryan of Foundation Church, and it, it went fine. But I'm still not going to go there, just because that's my own theological construct and my view of safe places. Right. That's where I'm at. Well, but but we're still friends with some of those sure. folks. It doesn't divide our relationship with them. Does that I, make sense? I, get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying. Well, ultimately, you know, you, 
I mean, I can't control somebody. I can't lead someone where they don't want to go. And if they are remaining somewhere that I might believe is toxic or unhealthy, yeah, that's their I choice. Wanna, yeah. That's their choice. I, I'll be in I'm there for you. Of, of conversations if they, if they aren't, maybe that's a good way to say it. Yeah. When you when you feel like there's no place else to go, I want to be a safe place for you. Yeah. Because a lot that's usually the what I've seen in a lot of these unhealthy church dynamics is there's no safe place. Right. I can't I can't bring this this my secret inner struggle to this place because they will reject me or they have and some of that could be guessing or six to eight months ago I think I would have had a lot of heat about that like I would have had strong stronger opinions about it like you need to flee you need to leave there a place is toxic right. and I kind of still think that but it's with less vibrato in my gut it's just kind of well I think what I think and you're going to do what you're going to do and we can still be friends and right you know. it's kind of like you said earlier some people need to deconstruct and need some time to kind of marinate a little yeah. bit and, and some and, don't yeah and some can maybe the relationships are valued more than the the talk every week and the theology. Yeah, I guess I, does that sink in or I don't know. <laughs> I, I I mean I I told a friend who um, you know we had a conversation and I think where I was coming at it was was from you know I don't I don't want this thing to be the elephant in the room that we can't talk about you know right. not that we're always going to talk about it not that we always want to talk about it but it doesn't need yeah. to be an elephant in the room that's right. and that's the important thing about relationships you know like. Like don't tippy toe around it, yeah. and, and don't talk about politics and religion. <laughs> but but it is it, it can be difficult though when when the entire paradigm you're working from is different from someone else's. Yeah, uh, and then you get into those wounds, like you start asking these questions or talking about you know different forms of theology, like Reformed theology, for example. And somebody gets angry. To me, that's always a oh well. Let's talk about that because that's like like the dentist goes in with that little hook in your mouth, <laughs> hits the raw nerve, and you go da. I think that sometimes something like Reformed theology in the context of Mars Hill can be like anesthesia, like you know something to uh, well, God's sovereign and God can do what He wants, and that will stop people from really running with questions and deconstructing because eventually they're just going to surrender to the sovereignty of God and not really deconstruct it too much. Right. Because um, ultimately, it is faith, isn't it? Well, it's it's more like I, I look at it more like people are jumping to resurrection without death. You uh, need death before you get to resurrection. But true. people are jumping. I just want the resurrection without the death. Like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes I wonder if that's that's an element to the post Mars Hill thing for a lot of people. Yeah. I'm not saying it always is or reform theology is always that, but I think it can be. You right. know, I, I think it, it's it's a, it's definitely one for people who have had their lives blown up. Yeah. Like when somebody's caught in an affair or their their secret life is, is exposed. Sometimes that can be like, Well I'm forgiven. I repented. Yeah, it can be. <laughs> Except for, but for most of those guys, I'd say most of them, seventy five percent they they are crushed yeah they're in tears they're like oh my god please forgive me some of them some of them don't know how they got there i mean i know that that's i know that world i lived a double life and and Mm -hmm. when when my when my secret darkness life was exposed in the light it was almost like looking at that guy and going who is this person you know right me from the outside because i learned how to detach my heart from it to Mm. a certain degree so I think that's one of those things that theologically is really healthy for people to start 
dealing with the relational paradigm of their faith and not just the intellectual one. Right. Because we can, you know, masturbate on theology all day long. It's just an inner, just trying to think our way through something because we didn't get, like, the Bible's a Rubik's Cube. And right. I'll figure out why I did these things or I'll figure out how to get my wife to forgive me some of these guys or, or husband in, in the women's cases. Right. Yeah, and I think that for some people, their, their respective theological paradigms just works for them. Mm. And it works until it doesn't. Yeah. But 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 but, but like it, when your secret your skeletons come falling out of the closet, or 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 <laughs> it's as simple as is you know I just don't believe this anymore. I just don't relate to God like this anymore. But if it works, it works. Right. Um, but for some, it it could be not really wanting to dismantle it because it's too painful. And those are the people that I tend to have the biggest burden for because. You know, you're going to need to deconstruct. You're yeah. suppressing this energy. It's going to manifest itself in anxiety and in depression. C.S. Lewis called it breaking our intellectual virginity. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I thought that was a beautiful way to put it. Wow. I was trying to find that, but I just it just popped in my head. I was trying to find that quote. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Once the theological virginity is broken, then you have to deal with the real world. You know, it's like that Matrix analogy. Is this really the world? You know. Yeah. Once it's broke down and you see the, the underbelly, as Nadia Pulse-Weber, I guess, would put it, right? Is that I, what we're dealing with, maybe, John? I was that? really disappointed in The Matrix, like the second one where yeah, Zion was just like a big like rave or <laughs> something. Like, go back with Cypher and eat the steak, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. yeah, if that's what heaven is, I don't know. But it's an interesting question. Yeah, it is. Um, it's getting back to, like, I was thinking about uh, street, the street lingo for community because the topic of, of this podcast and I, I, I titled it the transition of community and, and really defining that word, what it means in, in circles of faith, for example. Um, when a, we have our friends that, you know, like next door to this, John and I were going to do this conversation in another coffee shop next door or a little bar distillery kind of place mm -hmm. but they're doing like a political fundraiser like right, right. next door from where we're, yeah some congressman is doing a fundraiser so you know we have our fundraiser friends right, right? and then we have our homies right you know and maybe that's part of this conversation is getting to those places where our homies got our back and right. our homies know us and our homies are a safe place yeah and we all we all know that we're a bit of an asshole and that's why we follow Jesus. You know, we all know that we're a little broken, that we do need a savior, and that savior is Christ and not the next affair, the next fling, the next whatever it is, bottle of whiskey. I might even go a little further and say that that I start with that we're human, that we're image bearers of God, we're right. living icons. And so for the person in their deconstruction that walks away from faith or, or has a, like a post-theist worldview or, you know, maybe is agnostic, uh, I, I, I have a heart for those people yeah. in, in, in a lot of ways. Like I'm not going to judge them or, right, or right. not allow them behind the counter because all of a sudden they don't, they don't think what I do or exactly. have my theology. We're people trying to figure it out. We're on a journey. Yeah, we're we're, we're, we're journey. processing this. And I, I love those people because they don't have that, those borders and boundaries of the of the God people, right. as I put it. Yeah, so I think I it, really value I think it needs to go even further, you yeah. know, than, uh, than, than just, 
having having those relationships within a context of faith because I mean even sometimes like you know my experience is you can be a lot more real with people that have deconstructed their faith or maybe are agnostic or atheist right. you know and I mean I don't know and maybe that's <laughs> part of this conversation is is uh, what's the word is is faith what, what's the definition of faith right that's because in my question. view in my worldview, I guess everyone has faith. I, I see that everybody does. Like when, when I get up in the morning, you know, we go to our jobs, we have faith that our car's going to start, that we're not going to get killed on the way there. Like, you know, people who just stay inside like agoraphobia, those are people who, is that devoid of faith? I don't know. They have faith that their house is a safe place. Like we all live our lives based on faith. There's no proof. There's no certainty. Right. Again, that, that comes I don't even live to the, see the end of this night. I could die on the way home, you know? I don't know. I, I've gleaned a lot from some stuff that some of the later work from Frank Schaefer where he talks about this very thing. You know, um, I mean, ultimately, you know, if we're honest, we're Christian because of where we're born, you know, in North America. Right. <laughs> you know, if you were born 500 years ago in Riyadh, you probably wouldn't be a Christian. I mean, let's right. just be really honest about it. Right. So what is faith? What is driving it? You know, and... I think there's this, um, you know, like neuroscientists will theorize that it's a byproduct of evolution, that we needed God to help our species survive. We're meaning makers. We're meaning makers, and we need that for survival. But we don't know for sure. All we know is that we are hardwired for transcendence, for love, for something beyond us. And so a lot of Schaefer's stuff is we don't know. Maybe it is a byproduct of evolution. Maybe it is something real that's driving it. But stop stop asking the question just embrace the mystery embrace yeah. the mystery and yeah. just and, and so um for me I, I mean aside from where i was born i mean it, it, it's culminated in the person and work of jesus christ and his life his death his resurrection and that is transformative and transcendent for me and mm-hmm. um and, you know, do I have empirical proof or evidence? No. That's right. Can I write, pull out a schematic but, for you? But, but there's and if you could, that wouldn't be faith. Well, there you go. If you, if there you go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But I think that, that that's valuable because, um, because, yeah, it could be a byproduct of evolution. We don't know. But stop asking the question. Just embrace the mystery. Embrace the paradox that lies within human existence. Right. Uh, you know, the, the people that try to override that sense of transcendence. I mean, you have to do a lot of work to do that, to override that. To, I'm an atheist. You know, I reject it. I mean, atheists admit this. Um, you have to discount a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if it can all be explained by brain chemicals. And, of course, they would say yeah. it can't. Science will find out someday. Yeah, what someday. We, well, someday. For now, we have faith. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean... Right now, you got, you know... Uh, Who's the guy that's funding, trying to fund this big deal right now? Uh, Hawkins, man. He's out in space looking for God. Oh, wow. The alien, right? Because we're all playing. That's kind of where the science is leading now. Well, oh, we, sure. We, can't, we don't know why DNA is so complex, so we must have been planted here by a higher evolved species. Ancient aliens on Ancient the History aliens Channel. On the History <laughs> Channel. That's right. That's what it is. So, and that's all, that's all faith. It's all faith looking for faith. I guess it's when the wheels come off that that's when your faith becomes real. That's mm. one of the questions I asked. I did a God and Me survey. It's on the website. It's the most popular survey. God and Me? On the website, yeah. It's, uh, how did I put it? I told there on the ASI podcast, <laughs> on the ASI website, ASI247.org, the God and Me survey, 
Uh, it's titled, I have it here, the Survey Monkey has a has an app now, which I can- Survey Monkey? Survey Monkey, that's right. Got in me a uh, relationship or toxic religion. Huh. And that's one of those questions I ask. Like, when did it become personal for you? Like, when did your faith become no longer your parents' deal, right? Yeah. When did it become yours? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great, I'm not sure it happens all at once. No, but there had to be a, like maybe a life event that, that made that thing real. There was when um, you when you cleaned you, you cling to your faith you cling to your savior, and not maybe a, 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 a functional savior that only works for a little while, like in, when I lived in Alaska this this term peeing your pants to keep your backside warm, <laughs> right? Like that works for a little while, <laughs> but but people do that people go to those functional saviors the short term saviors like when did it become? I, I I'll I'll read you this quote that I I had that um, I've been meditating on. Uh, Jesus tells us that God is like a loving parent who runs toward us, clasps and kisses us while we are still a long ways off. So, uh, sorry, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. So until this is personally experienced, most of Christianity does not work. Wow. Until the story of the prodigal son is personally experienced, most of Christianity doesn't work. Wow. You're just managing, you're just trying to rearrange the furniture it, it doesn't work until right. you ex- you personally experience the prodigal story the right. father running after you with reckless abandon wow so that that's been something that uh, I think is very true yeah. yeah that is awesome everybody has a different story and for everyone that their story is going to be their their point right of, of coming to faith it's going to be whatever it is it's going to be that prodigal son moment that's really good man um for me, it was, uh, the, I wanted to kind of land on, on, that's a great place to land, but certainty and surrender, I guess that's a surrender moment, isn't it? Learning that you're in the prodigal son story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. when sur- the, the idol of certainty is, is crushed. Right. And you realize you're, you're the person in the prodigal son story. Certainty's easier. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> But uh, I think that's a big thing a lot of people struggle with. I think that's a post-enlightenment kind of struggle, you know. Um, Black and white, you know, we just like it all figured out. It just, life isn't like that. No. (laughs) No, it's not. That that was one of the things, that the footprints in the sand. Like my mom, I grew up, my mom was Christian. We didn't go to church a whole lot when she was married to my dad. But and it went even after that. But I, when I did go to church, it was impactful. I, I think. I mean, I got the story. I got it. Right. It's like Jim Henderson said. I, I got the deal. I did the deal. I, I went up to the altar call three times and figured it would fix me. But no. I I would say that I I go so far to say that I got to a dark place in the past year or two where I had a lot of anger toward my mother for even introducing faith oh, uh, into my consciousness. That's where I was with a, at AC3. Really? I went into this, that office and I said, I don't even want to teach this shit to my kids. Like, yeah, like, like I hate it is this. So... I, like, why is this even in my consciousness? <laughs> like it's, it, it's etched in my hard drive and I can't erase it. <laughs> right. But, and, and, yeah. you know, and what's interesting about that too is, is you see people that walk away from faith. Maybe they're post-theist, agnostic, atheist, whatever you want to call it. They still can't stop talking about it. <laughs> exactly. They can't stop talking. It's still in yeah. their, it's etched in their hard drive. It, it's, it's, not, it's written on their heart, they can't. as Romans would say. And, and I mean, on, on this side of it, I would argue 
that a, where a lot of those people are is actually an act of worship to the true God, to Christ. They're rejecting this awful God they've been taught, this awful construct that, you know, this, this retributive God that, you know, his posture Fire toward them is anonymity stone. and they're the yeah. worm that he holds over the candle, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, their rejection of that, I think, can be an act of worship. I'm not saying it always is, but I think that, that that's the first step of turning toward that God. Yeah. Uh, turning, uh, towards... from, turning from that God, like like rejecting that view of God. Right. I think the Western view of God has a lot of baggage, has a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. It's got a lot of shame. Shame, of guilt, you're depraved. You're, yeah. You know, um, and, and that's why I'm interested, if I could encourage anyone, is to, you know, work through that, deconstruct it, think differently, realize that Christians throughout history throughout the world haven't necessarily thought the way you have in a post-enlightenment, post-reformation paradigm. There's different ways to do theology and to think about this. Right. And there's some good pastor theologian figures out there that are doing some great work uh, to kind of you know, deconstruct this a little bit for a lot of people. And um, I love the work that they're doing because I think that, that the Protestant church, especially those that have bought into a lot of reform thinking, need th- their souls need a lot of healing. Or, or Catholicism, for that matter. There's just a lot of bad Catholic, you know, I mean, in, in any denominational construct, there's going to be, and I think it's people that rise up and want to use their interpretation of the Bible you know their interpretation of hell as putting it on the other person and, it, and trying to control groups of people, and so yeah, that's part of that. And it might be a point. It might be a point of disagreement for us. We haven't really talked about it, so this is off right. the cuff. But <laughs> but but I I think I'm encouraged by Pope Francis. I think that he is a great ambassador for Christianity at large, not just within a Catholic construct, but just just people that love Jesus. Right. Now, the Catholic Church is a corrupt colossus. Right. But the change is going to happen slow. It can't happen overnight. And I think I think there's some encouragement. To there, there's there's some encouraging things that he's doing and saying to think that maybe he's a reformer. But right. but the change is going to. It's just not going to happen overnight. Yeah. But uh, I'm encouraged by him. Yes. It I is. still think the whole you know sexual abuse cases like that's something in his position he could do where he's at that would change a lot of things. Like paying paying the victims. I mean, there was a there was a legal loophole that was found by some lawyers in the United States. Oh, just file bankruptcy. So these these churches, these Catholic that are feeding homeless people and stuff yeah. like that, no, it's, it's, they end up going bankrupt because some priest molested some guy twenty years yeah. ago, and they could easily pay that money. It's messed up. I mean, the Catholic Church has got no, it's huge amounts of money. So that's that's one of those things that really bugs me about Pope Francis, for example. Well, he's come out against. I'm not privy to. I know he's come out against it, but he could he could instead of flapping his lips, actually do something. Let his actions speak louder than his words. I guess. Okay. This is my. This is my view of the whole thing. No, I I don't disagree. I'm not. I'm not familiar with 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 the whole thing that you're citing in particular. Yeah. Um. But. And and there's cases where I had uh, David Colossi on the podcast a while back, and he was talking about, like, in the third world, there's cases where there's still pedophile priests that are being moved around, and nothing's being done. Because it's in the third world, and there's no cops to come down, and, you know, I mean, there's less transparency, less responsibility. And I so, wonder how much <laughs> I didn't want to make this about that. No, I, but, I, that's, I, but that's one of those things for me, and it's been that way for some some other folks too is those those are those are deconstructed. I'm not trying to give him a pass because I'm a fanboy of Pope Francis, but <laughs> right. but but I wonder how much he's really privy to or how much control yeah. he actually has over that. You yeah, know, it's true. Is that like kind of like president, a, can he really? 
do, yeah, do that. It's, you know, it's like a middle management, yeah. you know, like bishops and cardinals and their whole hierarchy and how much really comes back to him. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty cynical guy. <laughs> and, and for me... Me too, and, a little bit. And, 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 and for me to be moved by him, uh-huh. I, I, hope it's, I hope I'm not being deceived because I, I think that there's some encouraging things he's, he's doing. Right. And I can't think it's all posturing. I don't know. But... I guess jury's still out, but for now, yeah. uh, I'm I'm going to be cautiously optimistic that he's a good ambassador <laughs> right. for for Christianity as a whole at large. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see how that plays out. But yeah, I uh, wanted to land the plane with that that footprints in the sand story. You know, I mean, even with the Catholic stuff and you know the views on homosexuality by the church and how that influenced my story like you guys can't even accept gay people you're not going to deal with me very well you know when that's what was one too do do you ever follow uh what's his name on twitter or facebook uh david hayward naked pastor he draws these daily cartoons or some of them are pretty funny pretty interesting pretty thought-provoking he had this one you know the footprints in the sand the classic picture Uh there's like one sets of footprints oh no no it wasn't footprints it was like like uh it was like footprints, and then like behind it was kind of like this trail, and and, it was, and Jesus says to the person, "That's where I dragged your ass when you were kicking and screaming the whole way." <laughs> One set of footprints with like a, a trail, like you know, <laughs> dragging someone's ass when yeah. they're, you know, they're kicking and screaming. I thought that was pretty funny. That is very, pretty. And that was my story. Pretty honest. <laughs> yeah, very honest. Yeah, I'm a very reluctant Christian. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I went in kicking and screaming. Very true. Well, thanks, John. For- doing this and being on the podcast again. Thanks for having me. Under much different circumstances. It's been a wild year. Yeah. Yeah. Things have played out. Very interesting. Thanks again, man. Yeah, thank you. There goes John Gayton. If you want to check out the music that I play on the podcast, ASI247.org is the website. It's a way that I'm able to give back to the artists, the bumper music I play. That is, uh, again, Preacher Stone. And I'm going to play another bumper by the band Seventh Day Slumber. I was looking up some music that included some of that footprints in the sand thing and this band is usually a metal band uh seventh day slumber but i love this tune it's kind of a ballad and it had me thinking about our conversation and thinking about faith um i wanted to end with this it's from the bible um whatever your theological construct this is just not just a definition of faith but a relational kind of history lesson the whole book 
uh, a Hebrews 11, the whole book of Hebrews, you know, like altars closed. <laughs> I love that. Um, it, it's, it's, it's an anthem of God's love. And this, this passage, um, this chapter is on faith. Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were made of things which do not appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. This goes on, um, and I challenge you to check it out, read it, right? Again, maybe even and especially if you've read it before, even a hundred times. Till next time, bye. You've been waiting on the rain to clear so you can dance, just to break from all the chaos so you can catch your breath. You don't need to see the ending of your storm to know it's there. I see the footprints in the sand to know that I am here. There's freedom that you made.